And welcome to episode number nine. Yeah, so here we go, man. Actually, um, it's kind of funny because tonight uh, I am, well, in this podcast anyway, I am coming to you uh, from the courtyard of a university. So my wife is in the symphony. And uh, I came with her this evening thinking that I would find a room somewhere, a vacant room somewhere to record this podcast, and uh, not a vacant room to be found. So I came outside, and I'm in this small courtyard where uh, there, at the moment there isn't anybody around, and so that's where I'm recording the podcast uh, this week. It was so cool because I parked... Um, at a, uh, in a parking lot, obviously. And as I'm walking over, there's this group of people, right? And, uh, they're dressed in all this medieval, uh, type of attire, uh, with foam swords and foam, um, like shields. And they're, and they're, they've got some kind of game going, right? Where they're fighting each other. They're battling each other. And, um, best I can tell when you kill someone, right? They are now on your team, and they have to proclaim allegiance to you during the game. So I couldn't gain that much from what was happening because uh, it only took a few minutes to walk by them. But it actually looked like they were having a great time. So uh, yeah, kind of a different uh, situation here this evening. But anyway, I am coming to you. Obviously, it's in the evening uh, when I'm recording this podcast. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm coming to you from the courtyard of a university tonight. That's where I am. Um, so last week was... Um, episode number eight, and we had Jay Baker on. I hope you had an opportunity to check that out. Uh, that was uh, pretty awesome for me. I'm a huge uh, Jay Baker fan, and so absolutely loved uh, having Jay on. Jay is such a good guy, and I was really pumped to have him. Um, so kind of cool, man. Have, uh, have, a, have a big-time guy like Jay Baker within the first... Uh, eight episodes, right? So yeah, last week was episode eight. This is episode nine, which means the next episode marks 10 podcasts for the Black Sheep Experience. So maybe I'll have to do something interesting for episode uh, number 10. Maybe each time we hit the 10 mark, 10, 20, 30, um, etc., we uh, should try to do something fun. I don't know. Um, We'll see. So let's see. I before we jump into the podcast, uh, before we jump into uh, the meat of the podcast, let me take just a moment to, um, you know, somebody said uh, to me, you should do a few different things before you just dive into whatever it is that you're going to be teaching or whoever it is that you're going to be. Um, sharing a conversation with on the episode. And so I thought that I would tell you a little bit about um, an occurrence that happened this week. And this might be the segment of the of the podcast just known 
as, um, you know, the gripe session, right? The complaint session. So four weeks ago, I uh, decided that I needed a new phone. And so I went out and I bought the Apple iPhone 8 Plus. I know what everybody, I know what you guys are already saying. Why didn't you get the 10? Why didn't you get the X, right? Um, I, did, I didn't want the X. It was way more money. And uh, I don't know if I want people recognizing my face, my phone recognizing my face and all that. Uh, so whatever. I, I, I know there's a million reasons probably why you think I should have got the X. I didn't. I went, th- went with the 8 Plus. I'm very happy <laughs> with my purchase, okay? But I noticed right away, as soon as I got it, man, I opened it up, no headphone jack, right? So I got this uh, brand new Apple product. They've gotten rid of the headphone jack. Everything has to happen through this lightning connector that they've got. So I have all these, I have a couple of nice uh, headphone sets that... um, now they don't plug directly into the phone, but they give you this little adapter, right? It's this little adapter. It's got the little eighth inch, I guess, on one side and the lightning thing on the other. And so you use this adapter. Well, immediately I know myself. And so I'm thinking, uh, okay, how long am I going to have this little adapter piece that they have so graciously given, uh, before I lose it, right? Um, four weeks, apparently. Four weeks, I lost the adapter, so now I'm going to have to get another uh, adapter, and I'm going to probably lose it at some point, and uh, I I don't know, uh, I'm sure that there is a reason why probably this lightning connector is a better, uh, maybe the sound is better, maybe the voice that comes through it is better, I don't know, but I don't know why there's got to be all these changes uh, all the time to my Apple products. Uh, anyway, so no headphone thing. They give you an adapter. I lost the adapter, which I knew I would. The moment I saw it, it's like this little two inch thing. Uh, and I knew I'm going to lose this. It's going to happen. And so there it is. And, uh, it already has. So that's, uh, that's that. Anyway, um, I am so glad that you're here listening, uh, this evening. And, uh, well, I don't know why I keep saying this evening because you're going to listen to it at a multitude of different times, but uh, it is evening while I'm recording this, and uh, I'm really glad that you're listening. You know, I, uh, I love um, that you guys are listening. I love that you interact. I love that you jump on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and uh, tell me about your, how you enjoy the podcast. I love uh, knowing that you're out there and, and uh, I really do, man. So I feel like that we're having a conversation and um, man, I just love, which I've said this probably almost every single podcast, I love doing podcasts. So I am hoping that this thing uh, continues to be uh, successful, and that the audience just continues to grow. So, obviously, you can help with that by letting people know that this podcast exists. Let people know that we're here, uh, that you're listening, and you do that on your social media stuff, right? On your all your social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, whatever else is out there. Just share, share, share the Black Sheep experience, uh, quotes from the program, um, whatever, 
um, whatever you could do to share the podcast with your friends, it would be greatly appreciated. Okay, man. So last week, um, had Jay Baker on, we had a great conversation, but I got uh, a friend of mine, uh, who said, um, that, uh, why don't you explain more about the foundation of, um, of what you believe so that it's not more of the same, but, uh, that there are some variances. And so I want to talk to you a little bit about that on the podcast. Uh, in, in this circumstance, I think what would be beneficial for you is either to open up like your notes app on your phone, right? If you have, I know, the, I know Apple has one on the iPhone. I'm sure that the, uh, I'm sure that other devices have those kind of notes apps as well. Uh, if, if not, grab a piece of paper, grab a pen, grab a pencil, because I have several definitions that I would like to share with you. And you may find it beneficial to write those names down and uh, do your own investigation on those uh, in the future, right? So I want to um, show you today First of all, that there is a rich, uh, a long-standing heritage within the Jesus tradition that we can label as unknowing. And so this is a way of approaching and loving God in terms of what uh, may not be known or understood or said about the divine. And there is this rich and long-standing heritage, right? This, this intellectual, uh, theological concept that defines and, um, uh, I guess, explains the way of unknowing. Uh, loving God in terms of what may not be known or, or understood, um, the idea of loving God in all the ways that we know Him and loving God while leaving room to love Him in all the ways that we, uh, that we don't know Him or the ways that really we cannot know Him. And here's the problem, right? So many of us are given the impression that the requirements for having a great relationship with God uh, is knowing as much as we can about Him. Right? So, um, studying God, learning as much as we can about God, clearly that's commendable. Uh, it, it can be very beneficial, but in some cases, um, it can be damaging as well. It can be damaging because there is no possible way um, to take the knowledge of God with all of its variables and then make that knowledge work with all the circumstances that occur in this world. You know, oftentimes, all these answers actually create um, are ideas, theologies, promises attributed to God that don't work. And then when they don't work, they create animosity and they create anger. And all that knowing uh, can be a real problem. And so what I want to share with you is some of the heritage and the beauty of not needing all the answers. The theology, the actual um, 
intellectual theology of not having all the answers, and then share with you some ideas about self-reliance in the area of your own personal thoughts, right? Developing your own convictions about how you see God and how you see the world around you. You know, it's interesting um, to me because we are bombarded with ideas about uh, who is evil, who is enslaved, who is in uh, oppressed, who's in power. We have all these ideas presented to us about who the problem is. And through that brainwashing, we develop, uh, really without much thought, ideas about what's good and bad, right? What's right and wrong. Um, who should be on the Supreme Court, for example, and who should be blocked. And um, we do this without much evidence and true conviction. So let's start, um, and I have an affection for a piece of work that comes from the second half of the 14th century, a very influential and famous writing by an anonymous author, uh, and the writing is called, pens and papers ready, notes app ready, uh, the writing is called The Cloud of Unknowing. Um, and there's a great line in here that will give you an idea of what, the, uh, what this great piece of literature is about. And uh, the quote is, um, By love may he be gotten and holden, by thought never. Right? So by love may he, talking about God, may he be gotten and holden or embraced by love, but by thought never. So what the author of The Cloud of Unknowing is saying is, through love, may we embrace God, may we hold God, may we understand God to some degree, but by thought, let us never think that we completely know or understand Him. And in The Cloud of uh, Unknowing is the message that the way to God and the way to know God is not to define Him, to not build an idol simply of God's uh, works and attributes, but in addition to the works and the words um, about God in Scripture, let us allow for the reality uh, of the unknowing, of the indefinable, of the God who is mystery. Uh, this idea that I'm going to explain, um, I'm going to allow this rich heritage of theologians, of writings, of history to validate uh, my point, to explain to you um, it, that this idea is, is viable, it's important, it's very credible, and it's an accepted part of the Christian uh, continuum. Now, this offering for me today is obviously it's not exhaustive. It's not a complete study, right, that answers all the questions because, number one, um, there's not an exhaustive theology, writing, or belief system that answers all the questions, period. Um, there are those that propagate that, right? Um, but they don't deliver. There, seriously, point two, is a rich and vast library of writings on the idea that unknowing is the most positive and legitimate and honest way to speak about God. Okay, so I mentioned a few moments ago about pens, papers, uh, notes app. Um, I want to give you another term, and this is an important one, and it's called apophatic theology. 
So this is a form of theological thinking that seeks to approach the divine in terms of what may not be said about this incredible, indefinable uh, uh, vastness and greatness that is God. In other words, apophatic theology, which is A-P-O-P-H-A-T-I-C, apophatic, you can Google that and check it out, right? There's the apophatic fathers, there's apophatic writings, there are those who support the apophatic thought throughout um, the history of Christianity, and I'm talking 1st, 2nd, 3rd, 4th, 5th, um, the cloud of unknowing was 14th century. The apophatic thought has become very popular right now. Um, so apophatic um, is approaching God uh, in the ways or in the things that we don't know about him, right? Now, there is a, um, I wouldn't say it's a polar opposite. I think it's more of a partner. It's another term I'm going to give you. And um, it is cataphotic, right? Which is C-A-T-A-P-H-A-T-I-C, cataphotic theology. And it's a, th- it's a theology that uses positive terminology. Um, and by positive, I mean um, affirmative, uh, uh, known, perhaps. Um, so it uses positive terminology to refer to the to the divine, in other words, terminology uh, that describes what the divine is believed to be. So you have cataphotic and you have apophotic. Cataphotic um, is describing God in the ways that we do believe in him. And apophotic is the theological thinking or religious practice that approaches God in terms of what we don't know about him. Right, And both of these, in my opinion, are the perfect blend, they're the perfect recipe for a really healthy relationship in God. Because there are things that we do know about Him, God, right? positives, affirmations that we know about Him, and those are important. But we have a tendency to major in what we do know about Him, so much so that we create all these incredible theological uh, or systematic theological ideas, all these doctrines about God that fully explain who He is, what He does, how He works, um, how to get miracles, how to pray right, how to, you know, there's all these ideas and all these concepts, um, all these positions that fully explain God, right? They wrap Him up in a nice, neat little box. And there's an overabundance of that in Western Christianity. And uh, at some point I'll talk about the difference between Western and Eastern Christianity. It's really important to the conversation. I don't know if I'm going to get to it tonight. Ah, I don't know if I'm going to get to it in this podcast, but I will attempt to do that. Um, Nonetheless, we have all these theologies that give... They overdefine God. They overdefine and the end times. They overdefine the personality. They overdefine the persona. They overdefine the ways that God works. We have an overabundance of that, too much of that. But that's not to say that cataphotic theology needs to be discarded. I don't think that at all. Um, the Apostle Paul said, this is an apophotic and a cataphotic statement all in one. 
uh, the Apostle Paul said, I claim to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. So in this phrase, the Apostle Paul is uh, giving us um, really a, a, a cataphotic and an apophotic statement at the same time, right? I claim to know nothing among you but Christ and him crucified. Um, so so, so that there's an instance there where we have in uh, 1 Corinthians 2, and 2, by the way, is where that's at, um, the perfect blend of cataphotic and apophotic theology coexisting. Right? Now, here are some, because this uh, episode is dealing primarily with apophotic thought. Here's a couple apophotic scriptures for you. Uh, John 1, 18. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who, who is himself God, and is in closest relationship with the Father, and has made him known. Um, 1 Timothy 6 and 16. Who alone is immortal, and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see? To him be honor and might forever. Amen. Um, there's a scripture that says, um, talking about how we love, uh, how can we love God whom we have not seen, right? How can we love God whom all these mysteries exist, is really what uh, the text is saying, and then not love those who we can see. So it's an apophotic thought process, right? Um, Romans chapter 11, verse 33 Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has ever known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Now, now these are apophotic texts. So, the heritage of the Jesus tradition, um, not only do we have these texts from the scripture, but we have these prominent individuals, respected men and women, who speak apophotically about God. So, uh, Gregory of Nyssa, some people call it Nyssa, um, said this, the true knowledge and vision of God consists in this, in seeing that he is invisible, because what we seek lies beyond all knowledge, being wholly separated by the darkness of incomprehensibility. Uh, John of Damascus, in his writing called, uh, and, and by the way, these are all respected guys throughout the history of uh, the Christian conversation, okay? So, John of Damascus, in his writing on the Orthodox faith, said, God is infinite and incomprehensible, and all that is comprehensible about him is his infinity and his incomprehensibility. So, John of Damascus makes this incredible, what we would call, apophotic statement Right, which is approaching God, recognizing God in the ways that He cannot be known. It's um, it's giving homage to the mysteries of God. It's embracing the mysteries of God. Uh, it is embracing the unknowingness of God. Right? These, these are all great things. 
He says the only things about God uh, that are comprehensible, understandable, is that he's infinite and that he's incomprehensible. So John says the only thing we can really know about God is... um, the only thing we can really comprehend about him is that he's incomprehensible. We'll never fully understand him. And this is a theology that, that, that we can be certain of, right? That, that's what uh, John of Damascus is saying, which is just a great statement, I think. Um, okay, so other apophatic statements... Um, are made by guys like um, Tertullian. Now, um, Tertullian is a very prominent guy in church history. Um, he is a powerful theologian. I'm not a big fan of Tertullian, but he's respected. You see, th- that's it right there, by the way. Um, just because someone has a respected thought, uh, just because church history validates and says, uh, yeah, this guy was, was an important guy. doesn't mean that you and I have to uh, um, embrace everything that he thought. Tertullian uh, was a bit misogynistic. Now, we're going to cut him a little bit of slack because of the time period that he lived in. Uh, nonetheless, a little bit misogynistic. Now, if you don't know what that term means, you need to Google it. And it's important, especially in the time period that we live in. Nonetheless, Tertullian, who is a prominent theologian, Um, says this, our very incapacity of fully grasping him, talking about God, affords us the idea of what he really is. He is presented to our minds in transcendent greatness as at once known and unknown. Now, what I love about this statement is it, it goes back to the balance thing that I feel like we were talking about earlier. By the way, um, the way that I have chosen to podcast is unrehearsed, uh, unscripted, and um, unedited. So I feel like I'm talking super fast. If I am, I apologize. I'm going to try to slow down. But I, I love this discussion. Okay, let's, go, let's get back to what we're talking about. What I love about this statement by Tertullian is it's the perfect blend of cataphotic and apophotic theology in one statement. So Tertullian says our very incapacity of fully grasping him affords us the idea of what he really is. So Tertullian, in this first statement, says, um, our incapacity of being able to fully understand who God is, of fully being able to grasp who he is, uh, this actually gives us an idea of who he really is. He's presented to our minds as this transcendent greatness, which is a cool phrase, by the way, transcendent greatness. Yeah, I I love that. I love that phrase. Um, And then he goes on to say, as at once known and unknown. 
So what Tertullian is saying here is that God is that thing that is known and unknown at the same time. Now, we have other theologians that have the same view, like Augustine, you've probably heard of, St. Augustine, um, who's just like a rock star among many, many church theologians, uh, although I'm not a big fan, again, not a big fan of, uh, of Augustine. But Augustine is, is highly respected by many, many people. Also a very cataphotic and apophotic guy, all at the same time. So, uh, what Tertullian is saying, though, is very powerful because he's, sta- he's stating that God is known and unknown. He's saying that our incapacity to grasp God is a part of who God actually is. I wish that line could transcend um, time. I wish that line could transcend theologies. I wish that line could transcend um, denominations. Wouldn't it be great if we didn't divide ourselves on what we think, um, on what we think we know? Wouldn't it be great if um, we could assemble around the things that we, um, that we can agree on? And the things that we have unity about. And simply let, you know, these less divisive, uh, 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 I'm sorry, decisive, um, these um, less definitive, undefined things um, just remain undefined and, and just somehow be fine with that. This is the tradition, this apophatic tradition. Uh, this is the idea that we can love one another. Um, and agree on the I don't knows of God. The idea that the cataphotic and the apophotic actually are a duality of co-presiding principles that actually support one another. See, for me, and I think this is true, um, my certainties about God all the things I knew that I knew that I knew, right? You remember, uh, those of you that, that maybe have been in church for a long time, there was these statements, I, uh, I know that I know that I know, and, and that type of thing. Those certainties became a serious point of bitterness when they did not rise to the reality of my experiences. Now, for some, they equate this, and I've heard it said as such, that God is more powerful and his truths more real than even the things that we experience. And still, that just isn't really true. Um, yeah. When you are told God will heal uh, your body, uh, your loved ones, your finances... Uh, you know, marriages, that, and that healing doesn't occur, um, that God will prov- uh, provide a variety of things from the simplest needs uh, to wealth and, um, and those things don't occur, there becomes the almost inevitable reality 
that bitterness is, is going to occur, right? Because you've attributed these promises to God. You, you've, you believe that these things that they told you in the church were absolutes, uh, that, that God was going to heal your marriage or that God was going to make you wealthy, right? Uh, word of faith type stuff. And, and that God was going to heal your body or God was going to heal grandma or God was going to, whatever the case may be, there's all these ideas present. And then that doesn't occur. Um, those are the wombs, right? Those are the birthplace. Of, uh, of bitterness. This is where people find themselves frustrated, um, upset, and a little disillusioned by what they, uh, what they believe to be truth about God. Um, you know, there's, there are good Christians that are homeless, They've got faith. They believe. They um, have have an element of knowing within them. Good hearts, the whole thing. And still, um, they are without, you know, a home. Um, There are good Christians who are poor. Um who are um, working themselves to the bone to make a living. And then, you know, they give glory to God for their paycheck, which is fine. But it's not, you know, it's not... And I I really think that oftentimes we are obviously blessed through our hard work and, and, and through you know, putting our hand to the plow, so to speak. But at the same time, I think it's a reality that um, a lot of us are making our own way. And, and we're making our own way in such a way that while it's fine and it's good to give, you know, thankfulness for those things, and it's fine and it's good to give thankfulness to the fact that, yeah, maybe God provided your job or God provided whatever the case may be. Uh, I think at the same time, there are those people who are working themselves uh, 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 to the bone to try to um, just provide a meager existence for their family while um, you have these, you know, you have individuals saying, uh, you know, that, that, that God's going to make us rich. And, and so those are promises, obviously, maybe God didn't make, but they're attributed to God. So, sometimes the things that we think we know, that we're positive of, maybe even that we have scriptures to back up and validate, in reality, we, you know, we don't know. And I think that that's a, ter- a deterrent for a lot of people, right? Um, they're good people. They don't buy into some of these ideas and um, a whole host of other ideas, you know, Whenever it comes to codophotic and apophotic ideas, I think what what you have to do is you have to have a, a nice blend of those things, right? You have to be able to say these are the things I absolutely 100% know, um, and uh, these are the things that I don't know, and I'm willing to gather around the things that I do know, and the things that I don't know, I, I am willing to to um, 
to live on and be okay with those. You know, here's the thing that I think sometimes makes me frustrated is when people don't believe exactly what we believe, we come up with all kinds of labels for them. And sometimes those are hurtful labels, right? Labels like heretic or false prophet or all these kinds of things. And I'm not saying that there aren't heretics in the world. I'm not saying that there aren't false prophets in the world. But when you have people that say, you know, I struggle with the idea of a God who's going to throw people in hell, I don't think that that is necessarily the time that you slap a label on them. Instead, maybe we show a little bit of compassion, um, a little bit of understanding. You know, the cataphotic things, I believe, for instance, um, that Jesus was born of a virgin, I believe that, that he was divine, that he died on the cross for my sins, actually for the sins... um, of the whole world, I believe that Jesus was resurrected. Those are cataphotic ideas that I have. However, there are questions I have as well. And I don't believe that those questions should bring a lack of camaraderie, um, a lack of harmony. But instead, in those apophotic areas of my faith... Um, Wouldn't it be great if we could find an embrace there between one another? Jay Baker said something um, in the last podcast when we were together, and I'm paraphrasing it, but he said, um, you know, Rob Bell's latest book, What's in the Bible, is amazing, and I really think everyone should read it. Unfortunately, what's sad is many won't because of the book Love Wins. If you're not familiar with the book Love Wins, it's a book by Rob Bell, and a lot of people didn't like it. They didn't like the ideas that he presented in it, which are mostly questions and not really ideas anyway. Um, And because they didn't like those ideas, now they decide the entire catalog of his work um, shouldn't be liked. See, this is what happens sometimes when we don't allow freedom of thought and ideas different than our own, <laughs> you know, to exist. Um, okay, here's another thing you're going to want to write down. Another guy you want to know, his name is Pseudo Dionysus. And this is P S E U D O hyphen D I O N S Y S. I-U-S, Pseudo-Dionysus. And this is a 5th and 6th century guy, right? He has a lot of ideas out there, uh, very, very popular, um, quoted, like Thomas Aquinas, uh, if you haven't heard of him, you you might want to write that down as well, but Thomas Aquinas quoted Pseudo-Dionysus hundreds of times uh, throughout the library of his Work, but uh, so pseudo Dionysus is an apophotic guy, fifth and sixth century. He has a statement um, that really encapsulates this entire thought. It includes another word, by the way. You're going to want to write this down. Um, the word is agnosia, and it is a g n o s i a agnosia. <laughs> what a great word! I'm teaching you guys some really cool words. Uh, 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 you can take these names 
And you can take these words and you can impress your friends. That's, that's like uh, pure, that, that, that's like intimidation gold. You know, when your friends start talking and acting all cool, you, you can be like, you know, um, I, I really like what Pseudo Dionysus said uh, when he was talking about agnosia. <laughs> and you're going to be the coolest guy on the block. All right. Um, so, uh, agnosia, the definition of agnosia is the inability to identify objects and or ideas. Um, yeah. Words like agnosia, pseudo-dionysis, cataphotic, apophotic. You are the bell of the ball, man. Um, you really sound like you got your stuff down. All right. Uh, so, pseudo-dionysis said... Unknowing or agnosia is not ignorance or the absence of knowledge as ordinarily understood. Now, that's not the end of the phrase that I want to share with you, but I I would like you to, I would like that statement alone to resonate with you for just a moment. Um, Unknowing or agnosia is not ignorance or absence of knowledge as ordinarily understood, but rather the realization that no finite knowledge can fully know the infinite one, and that therefore he is the only truly, I'm sorry, he is only truly to be approached by agnosia or by that which is beyond and above knowledge. So, uh, it, c- kind of wordy, but let's talk about what Pseudo-Dionysus is saying here. What Pseudo-Dionysus is saying is unknowing is not ignorance. Unknowing is not an absence of knowledge. In fact, in my own experience, greater knowledge actually produced greater unknowing. So the more that I learned about God, the more that I, that I comprehended about God, the more that I realized I don't know, right? So uh, pseudo-Dionysus is um, affirming that idea. Whenever he says knowing or, ag- I'm sorry, unknowing or agnosia is not ignorance, it's not absence of knowledge as ordinarily understood, but rather, or instead, um, the realization that no finite knowledge, which is what you and I have, uh, knowledge with limitation, that no finite knowledge can fully know the infinite one. And that therefore, he, talking about God, can only be approached by agnosia, by unknowing. Um, so what he's saying here is important. Um, the writings of Pseudo-Dionysus are not something to be discarded. Uh, they're prominent. They're incredibly influential. Uh, they permeate so much of the early Christian um, uh, uh, vernacular and ideas, um, huge in the contemplative uh, tradition of the Eastern Orthodox Church very, very early on. And then in the ninth century, uh, his writings invaded the Western theology um, 
And so the Dionysian writings, despite what some of my contemporaries may say, and they will, um, they were universally accepted. Uh, they had a very strong impact on Eastern and Western uh, Christianity, uh, which we're going to talk about maybe next week. Uh, they were a huge influence um, on some of very important people. Uh, people like, and you might want to write this guy down too, check out some of the quotes by a guy named Meister Eckhart. Um, very cool guy. So if you haven't picked up on it yet, present in the, uh, in the Christian tradition, scripturally, uh, historically, in hundreds of documents spread across hundreds of years, spread across hundreds of theologians, uh, is this apophatic tradition. A strong belief in the existence of God, but that He exists in a way that transcends existence. The apophatic father said things like, yes, God is a father, but he's not like a father in any way that you possibly could understand a father. He transcends the idea of father as you and I know it. He transcends the idea of existence as you and I know it. One individual said God transcends existence in that he doesn't have a beginning or an end. He always was, always will be. We can't possibly, there I, I'm talking fast again, we can't possibly understand um, what his existence truly means because there was never a time that he didn't exist. And that's an apophatic statement about God. Um, the apophatic tradition says, yes, we know God. And at the same time, we don't know Him at all. He is ever-present, but not in a way that we understand presence. He, he's great, but not in a way that we understand great. Um, it's an interesting thing. God is radically unknowable. Uh, in really every way possible. Uh, the guy Rob Bell that I talked about earlier has a statement in a book called Velvet Elvis. And, and the statement or the quote is, the moment God is figured out with nice, neat lines and definitions, we're no longer dealing with God. Um, a book that does a, a great job of presenting this argument. You might want to write this down as a book that you want to grab a hold of whenever you can get your hands on it. It's called The Idolatry of God. It's by a guy uh, named Peter Rollins. And this is what Peter Rollins says. Uh, God is not approached as an object that we must love, but as a mystery present in the very act of love itself. Um, and so the argument is made that um, most of our ideas about God in, in many ways are a form of idolatry. Most of us build a God in our own image. Most of us approach God through receptors, perhaps, that were ingrained into our early childhood development. 
And so at some point, wisdom comes in knowing what you know and what you don't know. Wisdom comes in understanding what you understand and what you don't understand. And that God exists in both of those. And this idea of the cataphotic and the apophotic, um, these are not new ideas. These are not... um, like some progressive way of talking about God. This isn't brand new breaking on the horizon. The unknowingness of God and approaching God through that which is not known is a tradition that has been present uh, since the Apostles since the 1st, 2nd, 3rd, 4th, 5th, 6th century. Um, And still exists today. Now, unfortunately, many of us, we, you know, we, we, we have a hunger for knowledge and there's nothing wrong with that. When it becomes wrong is when it becomes a hunger for knowing. Because as hundreds of writers, brilliant men, um, even as the Spirit of God inspired individuals in the Bible themselves, and that was one of the ways that God presented himself to Job, if you remember, right? Where were you when I did this? Where were you? Then, you know, all these things that God is saying. There's so many things that I know and you don't know. Um, it, 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 it's been part of the composition of God. Old Testament, New Testament, First Church, it's always been a part of him. It's always been a part of good theology. Yeah. So that's it. Um, I have no idea how this is going to come across. I'm in the middle of this courtyard. Dude, there are these frogs all over the place. Uh, and they're, they're so, like, cute. <laughs> and they're all over the place. Um and then, of course, there's mosquitoes and stuff, too. I, I, I am so into this kind of theology. I'm so into this kind of discussion. And I don't have anybody right now that is, uh, 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 you know, talk, I'm doing all the talking. And so I, I feel myself getting all pumped up and jazzed about something that I'm saying. And then I realize all of a sudden, dude, you're, you're talking at turbo speed, right? So... Hopefully that doesn't come across. Well, anyway, I really appreciate you listening today. I have talked to you for almost an hour now uh, about cataphotic, apophotic, um, iPhone issues, and frogs. 
Dude, this podcast is, uh, it's almost perfect. (laughs) So, hey, a couple of things before I let you go. Number one, thanks, man, for hanging out with me uh, at this university, um, a courtyard. You and I just sitting here talking and about the, the things that we know about God, the things that we don't know about God. As I've just rambled on, um, thank you for, for hanging out with me. Uh, second, jump on social media, whatever you're really good at, man. There's some people that are so good at stuff. I'm like the worst person on Facebook ever. Because I jump on there and I'm on there for a couple of weeks and then I don't, I'm not back on there for months. But um, I, I, I have been really good about checking the, um, the Black Sheep uh, Experience Facebook page. So there you go. Uh, jump on your favorite social media thing, man, and, and just start tell, telling people about this podcast. Um, take some of these words and definitions and quotes and post them as your status and uh, then, you know, say the black sheep experience. And, uh, yeah, you know, impress your friends. <laughs> so, actually, uh, these are some really great... Some of, the, some, of these, uh, some of these words and terms and definitions, these are great words, great terms, great uh, um, individuals, Meister Eckhart, a pseudo-Dionysus, uh, uh, John of Damascus, that, just so many great people that I've that I have named this evening that you could spend a great amount of time uh, on the internet just looking up uh, apophotic, cataphotic, tons of information on that. Uh, agnosia, uh, lots of lots of uh, lots of great notes here that you can really build. Uh, some interesting knowledge with. Okay? All right, man. Thank you so much for hanging out with me uh, here in the courtyard. And um, hey, man, please let me know that you listened. Let me know that you loved it. Let me know your favorite word. Let me know your favorite. Uh, you know, Rob Bell has all these great people that when he presents a new word, people tattoo it on their body. Uh, so, it, man, if anybody tattoos apophotic on their body, um, I probably won't do anything, but I'll be extremely impressed. So, again, man, I'm just, yeah, I'm just completely rambling at this point. Uh, okay, so, thank you so much, guys. God bless you, and uh, see you next week. Done. Done.